Hey guys, what's up? This is Craig here from Bass Lessons Melbourne. Welcome to episode 50 of the uh, Player Profile Podcast. I can't believe I've done 50 of these already. Well, I mean, I say already, it's been over the course of about two years, I think. So, um, if you've been with me since the start, thank you. If you've just joined us, welcome. Um, This is the podcast where I interview local and touring bass players to talk about all things um, music, art, life, and of course, bass. Um, And I'm very happy that this 50th episode features Mr. Shem Von Schreck. Um, Might not be a household name to most of you, but um, he's certainly had some high-profile gigs. Uh, About a week ago, um, I went to see Toto play in Melbourne, and Shem is currently the bass player for Toto. So if you think about who Toto have had, you know, before him, Lee Sklar, David Hungate, um, Nathan East, Mike Percaro. That's some pretty big shoes to fill. So, um, and Shem was amazing at the gig. Not only does he play all the bass lines with great attention to detail, but only, but also his own flair. Um, he's an incredible singer, and so he's actually singing a lot of those high harmony lines and lead lines and choruses and stuff effortlessly. And you'll find out a little bit more in this interview about why he's able to to do that so well um so it was really great to catch up with shem backstage at the um festival theater here in melbourne um unfortunately halfway through my little voice recorder um crapped out the memory card was full and it didn't let me know so i had to change the audio to the camera audio about halfway through but you can still i'm pretty sure you'll still be able to hear what's going on um, yeah, as always, this podcast is brought to you partly due to the help of the awesome guys over at FBase. Um, you can find them www.fbase.com and they've been handcrafting guitars and basses for over 40 years with both vintage and contemporary inspired designs. Um, thank you for listening. Episode 50, there you go. Um, hopefully we can do 50 more. Um, keep this thing rolling on I appreciate you listening I hope you enjoy this interview with Shem he's a super nice guy, great bass player amazing musician Um, hopefully he'll maybe be back down here again um, in the next year or two and we can possibly do part two this one was fairly short because it was in between sound check and the show and we're in the dressing room so we kind of had to wrap it up after about half an hour or so so maybe we'll get to do part two at some point anyway, here we go, episode 50 Shem on track guys, how's everybody doing? This is Craig here from Bass Lessons Melbourne and for today's player profile video I am joined by Shem Von Schreck. 
man. It's really good to meet you. Good to meet you, Greg. Um, I appreciate you taking the time to of course. sit down with me. You've had a grueling tour schedule down here, I understand. We have. Uh, we travel by bus most of the time. It's in the States and yeah. around Europe. And, but because everything's so spread out, yeah. we have to fly. But we're flying on days of shows and we're having to, you know. we're is that this stressful? Is, this is uh, the fifth show now in yeah. six days. Is it stressful? <sighs> Airports are stressful. Airports are stressful. We're just, there's just no getting around that. Everybody's stressed. <laughs> people are walking, there's people who are traveling. It's not when you're a little kid. Oh, it's fun to fly. We yeah. No, not anymore. Not anymore. No. But um, but you've been looked after and it's been, yeah. it's been okay? Yeah, it's been good. It, this uh, this group knows how to travel. And they know they, they're a good traveling band. Yeah. Um, They've been doing it for a while. Can't say that about all organizations. Yeah, really? But, but these guys know what they're doing. Yeah, cool. Yeah. So you've been doing um, Falls Festival? Yes. Is that right? I mean, that's quite a, um, you know, eclectic pop, you it know, is. fairly young festival. So what, what was that like for you guys at we the stage there? We were a little nervous because we were seeing the lineups, you know, the bands that were going on after. It's just so different than <laughs> yeah, what, yeah. what we're doing. You know, we're the old guys and these are like these young, young bands and the, and the audience is like 25 and under. Yeah. Maybe, maybe. 25 right there it's a yeah. young audience it's and audience. they knew all the words to the songs they sang along with everything anything you encourage them to do they were right there wow. so it, it's we've done three of those now we're about to do our fourth <clears throat> they've all been great that's awesome yeah yeah but, I mean, very very rewarding for us you know and the, especially you know the guys sure the, the old guys in this band they uh <laughs> they they, uh, you know, they're just thrilled that the, that the younger audiences well, are accepting. And the music and stands up. It does. Yeah. It's great. It's great music. Can't yeah. deny it. And, e um, and even if you're not, even if, you know, I'm sure most people will know me, Rosanna and Africa. But aside from that, it's still very accessible, I think. And because they've been doing it for so long, I think it's a cool show to watch. You know, and I think people really respond to seeing music being created live in front of them. Yes, Even and with, like, with little encouragement, by the second verse of a brand new song that the band just cut last year, yeah. they're singing along. Yeah, right. So this is, you know, how rewarding is that for us? Yeah, that's cool. So maybe tell us a little bit about, you know, where you grew up and, and what led you to, to the bass? <clears throat> grew up in a musical family. Uh, my father is kind of a a legendary behind-the-scenes musician, mm -hmm. uh, having written songs and done arrangements for a lot of uh, international artists, Frank Sinatra, uh, Sammy Davis Jr., Liza okay. Minnelli, Frankie Valli and the Four Seasons, you know, so. So was that kind of happening around your house when you were growing up? Or? Yeah, it was, yeah. It was just, that's, that's all we knew. <clears throat> you know, it was the only, cool. <laughs> that, that and, and old comedy movies. Okay. <laughs> Laurel and Hardy and yeah. W.C. Fields. And did the, um, just while we were there, did, the, did you also learn to read and write music through your dad, or is that something you learned to do? It's, it, because it was in the house and it was going on, uh, it, it just was there. I mean, I'm, I'm the oldest of three children. We all did music in some capacity. Mm -hmm. um, I was the one that really embraced it and knew early on that it was going to be a career. Taking it seriously. Yeah, taking it seriously and, and just knowing that was my future. Mm. You know? And my dad wasn't the, uh, the strict parent that that's, you know, demanded that you practice and do lessons. It was more, you know, he highly encouraged it, 
but it wasn't it wasn't a mandatory thing mm. um, which which kind of helped make you want to do it more in a way you know do it your way yeah and uh, you know he 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 was he he had his his uh, ideas of what he really wanted for us mm -hmm. that way but in the end we we wound up going our own, choosing our own paths right and um, I'm, I'm fortunate to grow up in that, that atmosphere. So did you have like a like a family band? We did for a time. Yeah, yeah we did for a time, and, and it was uh, the Shrek, the Von Shrek. <laughs> sure, the, the family Von Shrek. Yeah. No, it was we, we did that for a couple of years, and uh, you know, I, I while I was involved with that, I really wanted to branch out and do my own band where I was the guy in charge because you know okay. my dad's running the show. Right. So, you know, you want to break free of that, you know, and yeah. you want to do your own thing. You're growing as a as a human and as as an artist. And originals? Or are you doing kind of covers and stuff? At the time covers, but I was I was writing original songs since you know single digit years. Right. I was, you know, I was always writing. My dad was my dad's a great songwriter. Yeah. Really, really a high level songwriter. Uh, worked in the jingle industry too, which really fine tunes your crafts for sure. songwriting, where you have to pop out a song with, within five minutes, yeah. and it has to be something catchy. that's catchy and, and can grab your ear. And so uh, he's he's very good at that. So I had that as a model for songwriting and kind of the formula for what works. Sure, you know. So grew up around that. Yeah. So always doing original compositions. Um, it was a very uh, Big classical household. My dad was very into the German opera okay. and symphonies, and so there was always, always the, the skill of orchestration and and symphonic composition going on. Plus, at, at the same time, my dad was also very into the, the old Sinatra recordings, where those arrangers like, like Billy May Gil and, Evans and, and Gil Evans, Billy May, Nelson Riddle, Gordon Jenkins, those guys that wrote those great arrangements for Sinatra, yeah. and he was. My dad can can clone those guys like, right, yeah. like you know he just knows that craft. So that was that was always going on in the house too. And my my dad was in the jingle industry, not just writing the songs, but he was also arranging them for the, the band that would come in. And in those days, it was real strings, real horns, rhythm section. That's real pressure. Yeah, and he'd <laughs> have to he'd have to write that. But he would he would say to me, you know, okay, here's the here's the piece. Go down and set up the orchestra page. It's two trumpets, this, you know, oh, he'd give cool. me the band and I'd have to set up with transpositions and really? fill out the score, you know, set up the score for him and then he'd write. Like a little apprentice. Yeah. That's cool. But that's, a, you know, yeah. that was very valuable, yeah. invaluable training. So how did you eventually, you know, pick up the bass? We were a family of drummers. Right. That's not going to work. <laughs> <laughs> Three drum sets in the house? No. Uh, my dad started on drums, you know. You know, he'd fan of Gene Krupa and that, that whole that whole thing. And um, he said, somebody in this house, but he also played jazz piano too. Right. So that was somebody in this house has to play something other than drums. So my younger brother, he um, got hold of a Fender Mustang bass. Oh, cool. You know, and he's 11 at the time. And he played it for a little bit. It just, but he it wasn't wasn't something that he you know, grabbed onto and really wanted to do. So it just used to sit against the wall, but I would just pick it up and play it for fun. And I, at the time, the things they were listening to is Chris Squire and Jocko, you know, okay. these are the things that are going on and listening to in the house. So yeah. I just picked that stuff up and started learning the records and playing along. And next thing I know I'm playing, but still considering myself a drummer, right, yeah. mind you, you know, that's, yeah. that's, that's, that's what I do. But 
it just when you when it comes time where you're doing your own original music, you're forming your own bands, and you want to be the lead singer, you're like, well, I should play bass on this. Drums isn't really. And it just started happening. Then I was fortunate enough when I got proficient enough, my dad started hiring as a bass player to play on his jingles. Ah. I played drums. I played. <clears throat> in fact, I, I did a few sessions where I was the drummer and Marcus Miller was the bass player. Same time or? Back when I was, oh yeah, back when, yeah, tracking together. I was, I was 18 and wow. Marcus was like 21, 22. That's back in those days, yeah. So my dad used to hire all these guys, Will Lee. And where is this? New York. York. This is New York, yeah. yeah. So New you York. grew up around that. Yeah, we grew up in New Jersey, a suburb of New York. Yeah, cool. So you doing sessions on bass when you are 18 and then kind of getting pulled into the original scene more or more of the session scene? Um, yeah, I worked. Uh, I got hired in my early 20s to be the music director for a music production house as an advertising in, in, the, in the jingle mm -hmm. field, uh, a guy that my dad had worked for, and he wanted to branch out and started hang, hiring younger people to get, keep the yeah. company having a fresh sound. Yeah. So I was having to write, having to produce, having to play with like a recording studio right there every day in New York. So while I was doing that, I put together an original band of my stuff. Mm -hmm. And we played all around New York City. Be working at night, during the day at the studio, and then playing gigs at night in the clubs. Living the dream. Living the dream. Yeah. Yeah. But then switch to the West Coast. Switch to the West Coast. Um, when when was that roughly? That was '89. Okay. Yeah. I I just felt that my I was just I was just drawn to the West Coast. Drawn to the West Coast sound. These guys, their music. Yeah. You know the. The, like in a bell production. The LA session scene just was intriguing to me, and I, I really wanted to go out there, and I just, just dropped everything and, and did it with really no connections or anything. Just wow. Went and did it. But it worked out? It worked out. Um, within six months of being there, I got the gig on bass with the band Ambrosia. Okay. Because their bass player was with Horns Be in the Range, Joe Puerta. Right. He was, and um, they were going to do a small Southern California tour, kind of get the band going again after being on a hiatus for six months, mm -hmm. or six years. And just, uh, we did that tour, and then the next year, Joe came back to the band, but they still wanted my high voice, so they, they moved me over to percussion. Okay. So, and, and I did that for several years, and then band members left and, and things happened and they moved me over to lead vocals and playing acoustic guitar fronting the group. Right. Yeah. But in the meantime, I'd made connections with Kenny Loggins. Okay. And uh, Christopher Cross and some other artists and Gary Wright and was just doing those gigs mm -hmm. on the side and, and started working with Kenny full time. And next thing I know, I have, I have a career as a bass player in L.A. <laughs> back back in the day when it was still a, a, a happening scene. I mean, is it still a happening scene? I, I, I like to say that it was just starting to not be a happening scene. Yeah, the, the year I arrived. <laughs> the year you arrived. You caught you caught the tail end of that yeah. of that wave. There's no business. Yes, that's the end of the song. And that's the end of the song. <laughs> so, so Kenny Loggins. I mean, that must have been a pretty pretty fun trip. That was a thrill. That was a, a huge dream come true for me. Um, with a, with a, a sub dream come come through too, which I'll, I'll say in a bit. But but Kenny's music I'd been listening to since I was twelve, and I would say one of the 
big influences for me on bass was George Hawkins. Okay. He just recently passed away, um, tragically. Um, but uh, so to, to play with Loggins and to play in that band and play with his music, because his music's just so diverse within his, his genre. Mm. And I, I, really, I really gobbled that up, I, mm. that opportunity, and worked with him on and off for 24 years. Still work with him when he calls, if, if, if yeah. he needs me, you know. This, this takes up most of my time, but, but what a thrill, you know. <clears throat> um, it's, it's, it's this, this is the second time I have followed Nathan East on a gig. Okay. Because Nathan was Kenny's bass player back in yeah. the mid-80s, right? When I actually saw them live at Radio City Music Hall. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, this is the second time now that I've followed Nathan. That is some shoes to fill. It is. <laughs> Honored every second. Yeah. But, um, oh, the, su the, sub, yeah, the sub the sub dream come true was at the time I joined Kenny Loggins' band, Steve George, the keyboard player from Mr. Mr. was his music director. Okay. I'm not sure who I was more thrilled to play with right. at the time when I first got the gig because I was such a fan of, uh, of the Misters. Yeah. And then Mr. Mr. kind of have it up, you know, they were kind of around the same time is total we're, yeah. we're kicking about you know, yeah. I think the audition one singer from Mr. Mr. They, they, I think that it was an idea they, an idea. they had, they had uh, thought about several different guys to, to replace yeah. Bobby Kimball yeah when, uh, in, and so is it around this time that you met Steve Procaro I met Steve Procaro in a record shop believe it or not <laughs> uh, in 92 90, 91 okay. 92 and I was able to approach him and say hello in the music shop because we had some mutual friends that I knew he, if I dropped the name, he wouldn't be like, who? Yeah. You know, because I, I knew guys that knew him. And um, at the time, for fun, I was playing in a police tribute band where I was playing bass and singing the lead sense. vocals. Yeah. And, and he'd heard, he goes, yeah, I'm coming to see you guys. Did you have a cool name? Cops. No, it wasn't my idea. I got outvoted for the name that I wanted, which I don't remember what that was. But yeah, it yeah. wasn't my idea. But hey, and Steve went, yeah, I heard about that. I'm coming to see you guys. And he did. And he started to be a regular at the, at the, the gigs that we yeah, would cool. do. And, and that, that was a really, fortunate for me, that was a real good gig for me to showcase what I do as yeah. a bass player singer. Cut to how many years later, 25 years later, and when they're thinking about, well, we'd like to get a bass player with a high voice that can cover the, you know, some of those high background parts. Mm -hmm. Steve went, I know the guy. I used to go see him. Yeah, well. Wow. So he got in touch with me and asked me if I'd be interested. And you thought about it for a minute. I thought about it for less than half a second. Yeah, yeah. So he, so he calls you up and, and how long ago was that? Uh, it was, I think it was around October of 16. Um, the audition was, it was, you know, here's, a, here's, here's four, five, six songs. We'll go, come over to my house, my, my meeting Steve's. We'll set up, we'll put Jeff's drum tracks out, the old basic tracks. Oh, because he has the masters. Yeah, he's got the masters. So I was playing with Jeff for the audition in a way. And met the guys, sat around and jammed. It's it more acoustically than anything. I had a, I just, I had a little cube amp yeah. and played. Dave had a keyboard set up and Luke just plugged into the rig. We just sang. Did you sing your earplugs though? And I left, uh, you know, they said, yeah, you got the gig, man, it's yours. You know, we'll, we'll see you on the first gig. 
And I remember just getting in my car going, what the heck just happened? Rehearsals or? Yeah, we rehearsed just I think two and a half days. Um, before we went out, because and that was May of seventeen. It's fair to say they've got a fairly extensive back catalogue. <laughs> so, I mean, like, what was it like? Go away and learn everything, or here's a tour set. I mean, what was the prep like for that? It was here's the list of songs that we're probably going to do for seventeen. Yeah, for two thousand seventeen. Uh, here's the keys we're going to do them in. See you at the first rehearsal. Okay. And so then, how? Like, uh, this is always an interesting question for me. How do you go about assimilating all that information? Well, fortunately, as a fan, I was familiar with half of it. Okay. I mean, yeah. You know, there's some. There were some. Uh, there were some records I didn't know well, like Taboo. I didn't know that record. I knew some stuff, but yeah, but some deep not everything. Deep cuts, right? And they're into doing deep cuts more, more and more. Um, so I was familiar with a lot of it. Um, I. And I would just do a lot of when I when I do my workouts and I do a lot of hiking and stuff. I would just listen to music before I even picked up an instrument yeah. to play along. And because it's probably like I have I have perfect pitch, so I, I know the notes, I know the chain, I know the ah, okay. I know the structure that where the songs are going. So if I've got the song, if I know the song <clears> in you know my head, next. Yeah. I don't have to pick up the bass to know where to where to go. That makes things a lot easier. It does, but yeah. and, and just having the you know, just the theoretical knowledge and background. Just you just know the progression. The, sure. Yeah. The, the relationships between them. If it doesn't fit into that mold, then it's probably that exception kind of thing that's happening. Some flat seven, don't know what you know. Right. But by, by the time I pick up the bass, I already know the songs in my head and okay. how they fit here. Yeah. You know, then just playing them is just putting the muscle memory together so that it's second nature. So that when you do have to sing, you know, a, yeah, a, a counter counterpoint them. line that's yeah. completely rhythmically different than what you're doing. This is all here. It's just all your songs messed up, or whatever. You like, you don't need to worry <laughs> right. about that. Right. Yeah. As yeah. I, before I even pick up the bass, I, I know the turn. That's good. Um, flip side of that, you sing opera. Yes, sir. I do. Okay. <laughs> so did, from how did that happen? The bottom range of the music to. Well, the full background is I mentioned it was our ours was a classical yeah. opera household. My dad was very into Wagner. Yeah. And he took us to see exciting stuff. Yes, very dramatic. Yeah. Took us to see those operas at the Met in New York, Seattle Opera, and I fell in love with it. Yeah. And in my wildest dreams, thought, oh, "Wow, great to sing that stuff." You know, there's no microphones, right? You're just out there on stage. Yeah. And you're singing. I'm gonna sing through this, you know, seventy-piece orchestra in the house, and you got to get it out to the back row. Balcony. I just thought this is, this is great. Plus, plus acting and, and performing the theatrical side, you know, mm -hmm. getting in character and then belting it out. There's just something like, oh, that takes a takes a skill. So it was something in the back of my head that I wanted to try, but just never thought I ever would because I am, you know, I'm too old now. It's, it's past me, but it'd be a nice dream. And so when was this? Well, it, my whole life. Yeah. I was, okay. I was thinking about that, but in 2002, I said, you know, let's let's. You're gonna regret this if you don't just give it a shot. Okay. So long story short, I found a, a, a program at this college, and just just found a found a piece of gold in Europe. This is in, in Los Angeles area. Right. And I found this this gem of a, of a teacher. Right. 
and we worked together well, and he understood what I was, where I was coming from. He understood those dramatic tenor roles. He used to sing it himself in, uh, in Europe. Mm -hmm. And we got on, and next thing I know is I'm singing in a full production opera in Germany with, with these European singers, and I'm the American guy, you know? <laughs> and it was uh, just a phenomenal experience. I'll, I'll never... Um, that's one of the most rewarding things I've ever done. Yeah, wow. So, you know, one night you're on stage putting Kenny Loggins, the next night you're putting on the penguin suit, so they say. Well, I was even costume. Oh, right, 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 right. right. Sure. Putting on the tights. Yeah. <laughs> There's actually one funny story, because you just, the way you just phrased that, <laughs> I was doing a production in Phoenix, Arizona, um, Wagner, and I was singing Zygmunt. And the day of our dress rehearsal for that production, Kenny Loggins was in town. And I wasn't working with them at the time. And they said, our drummer got sick. You're here. Any chance you can come out and play the gig? I said, guys, I have like the, the, the dress rehearsal for this Divalkyra production. And they go, well, what time does it end? I'm like, oh, it probably ends around 10 o'clock. He goes, well, we don't go on until like 10.15. If we create the set list where he does the acoustic section first with no drums, can you make? So I did the dress rehearsal. <laughs> Got dressed, but I should have kept. You should have kept the clothes I on. I should have. <laughs> that would have been it. Went went to the, the venue where they were performing. I, they stuck me in the back way. Next thing I do, I'm on the drum drums playing Kenny's stuff. And I never played drums on Kenny's stuff before. Yeah. I just, I just, but I knew them. It's crazy. You know? So so, but while I'm playing, I'm thinking. You know, I should probably stand stage left when I sing that one line because she's going to be coming out of the... Wow. So... <laughs> but... You know, if there's... You just... As, as Joe, Joseph's dad, John Williams, says, you just do it. <laughs> you know, he's like, Dad, how do you do it? You, know, well, you just do it. Just do it. It's nothing... It's the only thing person holding you back from anything is yourself. Because you, you just take it away too much. Well, exactly. Yeah. You just take it away. You just, just, you just do it. Just do it, Joseph. <laughs> that's Joe's impression of his dad. That's that's awesome. So, who were kind of your um, formative bass players? Like, who kind of shaped shaped your style of playing? Do you think? <sighs> Early on, like I said, I was into Chris Squire and Jocko, and I listened was listening to. Marcus. Yeah, Marcus is my because I was playing with Marcus. And <laughs> Plus he's on Marcus, everything anyway. And he's on everything. But when I first, when I was 14, when I first heard Earthman and Fire's I Am, mm -hmm. the side one of that, of that record, I think that taught me how to play bass. I'm like, that's what bass should do. You know, and then from that, my dad's like, oh, you like that? Let me take, listen, listen to Jameson, and then, you know, take you back further for, you know, yeah. so. Um, Gary Willis. Right from Tribal Tech is yeah. probably my favorite player. I noticed during soundcheck that you, you had a little bit of three three finger technique going on a little bit. Yeah, but yeah, sometimes it just kind of happens. Yeah. I, I was studying that for a while, thinking that you know Gary Gary Willis has this three finger technique. Yeah, and with this with the muting that, the, yeah. that he does. Absolutely. Yeah, and I mess with that for so long that every once in a while it slips into my. Yeah, yeah, and his mute the muting that he does. You know, like he, yeah. he kind of cu cups the the bridge. And kind of uses this like right. claw thing. Yeah, like, it's like it's almost finger picking like guitar. Yeah. 
but for muting and stuff, you know, there's a couple songs <coughs> in this, this show that, you know, you need that sound. Okay. And what kind of what kind of gear are you using? Um, uh, for this game? Yeah, for for the total tour. Uh, I'm, play I'm playing Sandberg basses. Right. Uh, it's a German company. Mm. They're phenomenal. They're, they're they're wonderful people, and uh, I feel like I'm finally found home on these instruments. Uh, those are both 35 inch scale basses. Five strings. Yes, five strings both. Um, there's no rig on stage, but I play through a, a Galen Kruger plex pedal. Okay. Which is I love that thing. Sounds good, like a bit of preamp and deep dark and yeah. compression and stuff. Yeah, I just good. use it flat. Okay. And let let the let the basses do their thing and yeah. you know, um, Daddario strings. Yeah. Uh, locket straps. Okay. And uh, I think that covers like gear. In ears. In ears. Whatever. Yeah. Uh, Jerry Harvey audio. Okay. Do you get a bit of um, room piped in there as well? I mean, what's your, what's your kind of mix settings? I don't ask for that because as a bass, I don't want to hear any boom going on. I want okay. everything nice and tight. Tight, yeah. But between songs, Chevy, the, our modern engineer will throw a little crowd noise. Yeah, but make us feel like we're, uh, yeah. we're being appreciated. Yeah. <laughs> That's cool, man. Um, I, I remember hearing a, a, an interview you did where you were you're a fan of Fretless as well? Love Fretless. Yeah. That's the Gary Willis thing. Well, you know. Police, did you play it back in Cops? I didn't, no. Okay. No. That would be days. hard, I think, to be kind of rocking out on, on Fretless. It's I know. And for, for a couple of a couple of long sections of tour, Sting did that. Yeah. With that red precision Fretless. It was yeah. crazy. Or uh, remember you used to have an, an Ibanez musician, Fretless, you knew the, kind of looked like an Olympic. I did? Sting did. Oh, Sting. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's like a really dark ebony neck and that kind of... Yeah, it was Ibanez. Ibanez. Exactly yeah, you're right. It was an Ibanez, yeah. Because yeah. that, that was my first bass, but fretted. I remember seeing pictures of this thing, I was like... <sighs> my, my very dear friend who was the bass player in one band I was in high school, mm -hmm. right? Like keyboards and guitar. He had that same bass. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I just brought it back home because my bro, I gave it to my brother years ago. What was the model number? It was it was Ivan as what musician? Musician. That's, That's exactly right. Yeah, and I had like like ten knobs <laughs> on it. Yes, you did. That was great. I brought it out the other day. I was like, I think the thing you put it down, you could remote pilot it, and fly. <laughs> Starship command. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, I reckon we might need to oh. there. There, you know. Yes, the, the show must go on. The show must go on. But um, again, thanks very much. Craig, thanks. Yeah. I'm really glad this worked um, out. Whereabouts can people find out about what you're up to? Instagram? Uh, I have an Instagram page. It's it's my name, Shem Von Shrek, uh, on both Twitter and Instagram. S-H-E-M-V-O-N-S-C-H-R-O-E-C-K. My website is shemworks.com. S-H-E-M, works. And uh, that... that the website's pretty detailed, everything that's that's going on. Yeah. I'll post this interview on it. Cool. I'll embed it, yeah. uh, work, work that in. We'll do, man. Thanks. Yeah. Appreciate Great. it. My pleasure, Craig. All right. Same on track, everybody. Big thanks once again to Shem there. Uh, I hope you enjoyed the interview. It's so cool hearing about um, 
his upbringing and doing opera and playing drums with Kenny Loggins and playing bass with Kenny Loggins and yeah um, it was it was really cool hanging out with Shem so hope you enjoyed it if you do like this podcast then um, one little thing I ask of you is to maybe jump on iTunes or wherever it is that you get your podcasts and leave a quick little review share it on social media all that kind of stuff if, if you can um, it would be great to get um, these stories uh, out there you know more people to to learn about these bass players and what they're up to and all that kind of stuff and um, and it's all happening here in Melbourne so if you like the music that's playing at the minute that is um, the track called Slam from my band Pickpocket you can find Pickpocket on Spotify and Bandcamp iTunes just search for Pickpocket Funk and it should pop up alright thanks for listening guys I'll see you next time <laughs>